All right, guys, what's up? That's how you really welcome guests, huh? Hi. Yo. Yo. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Hey, my name is Justin Terry. I'm a student pastor in uh, Seneca, South Carolina. Have you ever heard of Seneca? Anyone? Wow, I'm, my mind just exploded. If you know where Clemson is, you guys know where Clemson is? All right, so I live like five miles from Clemson. Any Clemson fans in here? Ooh. I'm not a Clemson fan, so you're on your own. But anyway, uh, I'm pumped to be here tonight, and uh, I actually, uh, about a year ago, I got married to a most insanely hot girl on the planet. Her name is Bethany. She rocks. She's not here, but she's like, I'm praying for you. That's awesome. Anyway, um, but you guys have no idea how blessed you are here at age 12, and those of you that came up through M12 as well to have guys like Stephen Perry, guys like Derek Idle as your youth pastors, and the, and the incredible uh, staff of volunteers and interns that are here at uh, 12 Stone. I mean, you guys are blessed beyond belief. And let me tell you something right now. Watching four students get baptized is unbelievable, all right? That's awesome. And I think, I think my favorite part, though, to be completely honest with you, is watching you guys lose your mind as people got dunked. Because let me tell you something. Some of you are in here right now going, I have no idea what just happened. Some kid jumped in the water. I don't really understand what that's about. They're soaking wet. People are going crazy. I don't understand what's happening. But let me tell you something. You witnessed one of the coolest, most important things on the planet. So I just want to tell you, as a guest, that was awesome to have a chance to watch. Let's pray. And Jesus, thank you for being such a righteous and holy and gracious God. And I pray that tonight that the name of Jesus is made great. Open up hearts and open up minds tonight as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you guys uh, have been going through a series called Flipped, right? And uh, this whole concept is about the fact that culture kind of looks at young people and uh, they kind of judge you. They kind of point fingers at you. They kind of wonder if these young people can really make a difference, make an impact. Uh, you know, as young people, you understand that. You understand that people, anytime they look at how you're dressed, they pay attention to the music that you listen to, how you walk, how you talk, they immediately begin to make judgments and, and, and make an idea or an understanding in their minds of who you are and who you're not. All right? And so the whole idea about this message series called Flipped is to see young people understand that God doesn't care about the age that you are. God doesn't care about how you dress. God doesn't care about the, the neighborhood that you grew up in. He doesn't care your family dynamic. He doesn't care about any of that. All he cares about is right here. He cares about the heart. And if you read through scripture, God is passionate about his people. And he's also passionate about using young people. All right. So I just want to tell you tonight, as we get to go through week three of this series called Flipped, I am pumped to be here with you tonight, all right? In fact, I'm really excited to actually be in this space that I'm in right now. Actually, just to be honest with you, people kind of freak me out, all right? You know, I have like a condition, you know, where I have to keep people away from me um, just because like mentally I can't handle it. It's called selfishness, and uh, ultimately, I'm gonna be here uh, hanging out for tonight. Sorry, I know that's kind of weird, kind of awkward. I can only, I see a post right here, so what's up? Anyway, um, but I am, I'm really excited to be here. And I know that this month we've been challenging you to memorize a verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. So as the words come up on the screen, I want to see if you guys actually know it. I want you to say it starting right now. Do not. And then the other people finish. That's awesome. Way to go. Guys, give it up. Awesome. All right, 
So tonight we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about love. And uh, basically the, the title of the message tonight is Moved to Love. All right. And uh, I want to play a game with you guys. So if you guys look on the screen, I have to do a little 360. I like things for the swivel chair. Hope it's not too distracting. All right. Okay. So we have some Georgia fans in the house. All I want to say is Vanderbilt. That's all I got to say. All right, next one. Yeah! Yes! No Texas A&M fans in the house? You guys are like, why? Hey, I'm from Texas. I'm a diehard Aggie fan. Take the hit. All right, here we go. Next one. Tay-Tay. I do not, I do not understand. Dude, that takes guts. Just keep that to yourself, bro. All right, here we go. Next thing up. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I am passionate about Dr. Pepper, and I got to be honest with you, I'm on like this like separation week or so with Dr. Pepper. It's not because I'm angry at Dr. Pepper and all 23 flavors, like one of them ticked me off. It's not like that, but I'm just trying to like flush my body because if you were to draw blood, you would draw Dr. Pepper. So I need to take a hit and, and just water. All right, so next one up. Yeah! Oh, that's awesome. I love that picture. All right, next one up. $100 bill. Who doesn't love money? Yeah. Man, we love money. All right. And Slurpees. All right, I got a funny story about Slurpees. There's a buddy of mine in college who, uh, he calls me up my senior year of college. He's like, dude, he went to school in Tennessee. And he goes, hey, bro. I'm like, what's up, man? He goes, I'm driving. I'm like, where are you driving? I don't really care, right? He lives in Tennessee. I'm in Virginia. He's like, dude, I'm driving to the Virginia state line. Why? He goes, I want a Slurpee. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me right now? He's like, no, dude, I'm driving from my college to the Virginia state line so I can get a Slurpee at the closest 7-Eleven. P.S., that's 180 miles one way. That's a whole different like, level of, of obsession and love. Stay away from that guy. I'm just saying, like, all right, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. We all have this idea about love. We each approach love differently. When we had different pictures come up on the screen, there were, there were uh, you know, situations or teams or people that kind of invoke this idea of love. Last week, I told you I'm a student pastor in Seneca, so I'm around teenagers all the time. And even last week, uh, I'm trying to leave. You know, It's like 10 o'clock at night. This, this mom has not picked up their kid. You guys have moms like that in the room? Yep, it happens. They're like, we're just going to babysit. You, we want you guys to babysit. They kind of drop you off. The car's still rolling. They piece. Anyway, so this girl hadn't been picked up yet. Well, she's on the phone with her boyfriend. This girl's like in the seventh or eighth grade. And she's like, I love you. Did you hear me? I love you. I just, I love you. And I'm like, I wanted to take her, like, sac, uh, her Samsung Galaxy phone, which is bigger than her, and just spike it on the pavement. You know? Because she's, she's 10 seconds old, and she's barely been in a relationship with this dude, right, since camp. And she's like, I love you. I just, did you hear me? I'm like, dude, like, calm down. Like, you have no idea, girl, what you're even talking about, right? But if you look at culture today, and if you look at your text conversations, and we have to, you know, stalk your Facebook, I'm not, but I'm just saying if I were to, you know, there's so many things that we love. We love, we love. I love Dr. Pepper. I love F-150s. Come on. I love Texas A&M. I love my hot wife. But the reality is when we use the word love all the time, it almost cheapens the meaning of love. Are you following me? Because if we use love all the time, 
So at some point, we're, we're going to lose, like, you know, ammo for that, for that amount of love that, that we're providing. And this girl that, you know, is in my student ministry has no genuine concept of love. And the, here's the deal. Students, love changes everything. And if you want to be a young person that influences people, if you want to be somebody that makes a difference in this world, if you want to be somebody that makes an impact in the kingdom, then you've got to understand something, that it all begins and it ends with love. And so the first thing I want to tell you about is this. You need to know how God loves you. And this is going to be really hard for some of us to understand. But we can't love unless we understand that God loves us. Okay? Because no genuine definition of love, no true definition of love, no sincere definition, no depth of love can come out of us unless we know that God loves us. In uh, scripture, what does it say in uh, John three sixteen? You guys know this verse, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that none shall perish that all may have eternal life, right? If you don't think that God loves you, students, let me tell you something. God sent his only son to this planet so that you could experience truth, so that you could experience love. And God is passionate about his creation. And I'm not talking about mountains and, and gorillas and, and you know, uh, little lizards and scorpions. I'm not talking about that. He might love them. I don't understand some of those things. But I'm just telling you that God is passionate about his creation. And if you don't believe me, read the book. Read the book. Read the Bible. Right? Read the Bible. There, there's places all over scripture where God reveals his passion for you, his love for you. Here's the deal. Genesis, uh, in the beginning of the, of the Bible, God talks about how he formed mankind from the dust of the earth, right? He puts them together, t- makes a woman out of, you know, the side of Adam. Oh, check that out. That would hurt. Right, anyway, but God breathed, you know, life into the first two people, Adam and Eve, and he created human, you know, or mankind, And God is passionate about his creation. And God also knows that we live in a fallen world. How many of you think that there's sin and just craziness all around the world? Right? Only half of you? Really? Come on, man. Like, I just don't think there's anything weird in the world. No, come on. Let's get real for a second, right? But the reality is that we live in a fallen world. And sometimes we have a really difficult time understanding that the God, Big G, the creator of the planet, and everything else in its existence could really love us. But students, I'm telling you tonight that you can't really love. You you don't have the right to use the word love unless you know something a lot deeper, a lot more important, a lot more personal. And that's the fact that you are absolutely loved and valued by God. And students, if you don't learn anything else tonight, if you don't learn anything else in this series, students, I hope you understand something that God is passionate about you, that you are absolutely valued and adored by the creator of the universe. It's true. If you look in your Bible to Ephesians 5, uh, excuse me, let me tell you this. 1 John 4.19 says, we love, the, we love each other because he first loved us. But let's go to Ephesians 5. This is what it says. It says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Students, I want to go back to the first part of that Ephesians 1, but it says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. About six months ago, this verse radically changed my life. I've read this verse a million times. I've preached on this verse a million times, but I could not get past as dearly loved children. Those words changed everything for me internally. It's not that I all of a sudden became a believer six months ago. I've been a believer for about 20 years. Oh, take the hit, JT. But the point is, is that 
that, when I got to reread that scripture and really dive into it and kind of figure out what it meant, it blew my mind because here's the deal. Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church and he says this, hey, those of you that, that struggle with being godlike, some of you, what's up, that struggle with following God's example, some of you are in that same boat. You're like, dude, I go to church. Dude, I have a Bible. I can spell God. Woo. You know, I want to know how I can impact people, but I have no clue how to follow Jesus. Because I can't raise people from the dead. I can't make people's broken arms, you know, come back together, right? We don't know how to do that. We don't have that miraculousness coming out of our bodies and mouths and eyes. That'd be the craziest, coolest thing I've ever seen, you know, if we could perform miracles like that. But some of you right now are like, dude, I don't know how to follow God's example. But let me tell you something. You want to know how to kickstart that reality? If you want to know how to follow God's example a little bit, you've got to know something, that you are dearly loved children of God. And Paul makes a declaration. He says, therefore, he doesn't say P.S. He doesn't say, check this out. Oh, by the way, LOL. No, he, what he says is, therefore, follow God's examples. Example, as dearly loved children. You want to know your identity? You just heard a story about a girl that didn't know their identity in Christ. And all of a sudden the lights came on, the dots connected. And she's like, dude, I'm loved by God. I'm going to give my life to God. And I'm going to show the world that he's changed my life. You heard that because she didn't know who she was. But students, let me tell you something. Your identity is found in the fact that you're a child of God and that you are loved by God. And if you lack the confidence to overcome your insecurities, if you lack the ability to see past the walls of your little box, your little sphere of control, your little fenced-in area that where you're, you're the king or you're the queen. You, this, you have the controller of life right here in these four little walls where you get to stay to yourself and stay away from people, stay away from people that freak you out. If you stay in this area all the time, you're never really going to understand the fact that you are a dearly loved child of God. For those of you that are wondering, hey, how can I make a difference? Let me tell you something. It starts with the fact that we understand that God is passionate about us and that our identity is found that we are children of God, that we are valued, that we are accepted, that we are loved. And Paul says this, you want to know how to follow God's examples? Example, as dearly loved children walk in the way of love. Students, when you know who you are, when you know who God has formed you to be, when you know that despite what you look like, despite the choices in your life, despite the family that you come from, despite the school that you go to, or if you're homeschooled, take the hit. But I'm just saying, here's the deal. When you understand that none of that matters, but you are a child of God, oh, the floodgates are going to come. You're going to have confidence to overcome addiction. You're going to have confidence to overcome your insecurities. You're going to have confidence to talk to anybody on the planet because you're going to know who you are and you're going to stop giving a rip about what people on your left and people on your right think about you. And Paul says this, follow God's example as dearly loved children. He's speaking identity out. He is speaking love to you students. And some of you need to know that tonight. Unfortunately, though, there's some of you in this room right now that are just, you're walled up. You want to stay in this little fun area. And some of you are like, dude, how can you tell me that God loves me? You don't know what happened in my family even this morning or last night or last month? If God loves me, how come I have no friends? If God loves me, how come the hot girl or hot guy dumped me? How come the coach won't let me play? List is endless, students. We love playing the victim game. And some of it's unfortunately not your fault. I'll, I'll give you that easily. 
But there are a lot of you that are dealing with some pretty heavy consequences in your life because of the poor, insanely decision, poor decisions that you make in your life. You're like, I don't understand how this happened. What well, did you choose? Yeah. Well, hello. Do the math. Right? But quit making excuses. Quit playing victim. Quit saying that, oh, God doesn't love me. God just wants to blow my life up. That's not true. Because when I read scripture, I read about a God who will move heaven and earth to connect with his people. I read about a God who sent his son. Can you imagine sending your own like sibling, a mom or a dad, to, to down to, in, in place of somebody else? God sent his son because he loves us so much. He knows we're in a fallen world. We have free will, and most of us choose rebellion versus the things of God. But he sent Jesus to give us forgiveness. He sent Jesus to offer and, and reveal love. Not just speak it, but reveal it by death on a cross. But then he resurrected from the grave. You guys know this story. Students... Make no mistake, you will never be moved to love. You will never be able to utter the words, I love you, if you don't know that God loves you first. It's a very powerful dynamic. That's a true story. Let me tell you about the second thing. Once we know that God loves us, the second thing we need to understand is that we got to start to love sacrificially, right? Sometimes we need to understand that we got to stop just using our words, because we, we all throw out I love you all day long. You know, my eighth grade student that's talking to her boyfriend, I love you. You know, really, do you, do you understand what that, that even means? Well, it feels like it. Oh, that's the same thing, right? Let me tell you something. They ain't always going to feel in love, all right? Hate to break that one to you. Super romantic. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes you don't feel love. But it starts in here. And students, we got to learn to love sacrificially. First, uh, excuse me. Uh, John 15, 12 and 13 says this, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. In John chapter 13, check this out, Jesus grabs his boys, this, this group of disciples. And if you know anything about the disciples, this is a ragtag group of dudes. Some are fishermen, one's a tax collector, uh, some make tents. The point is, like these are a bunch of just random dudes. They're not the smartest guys in the group. They're not necessarily the most athletic. They're not exactly the richest. They're not the most famous. They're not the most popular. They definitely probably didn't have the best style. Of course, that's probably hard to do when you're rocking a robe and flip-flops. But I'm just saying, the point is, this is just a random group of dudes that Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And they did it. Well, after some time of Jesus pouring into these men, this is the king of the world, students. This is Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world. He grabs them and he puts them together in a room and he, he drops to his knees and he says, I'm going to show you what service really looks like. And if you know anything about, and I don't know a lot, but I know a little bit, these dudes, like I said, wore robes and some pretty gnarly flip-flops and sandals and they cruise around dirt and mud and they didn't have hot showers and axe, right? You know, body spray or anything like that, which by the way, gets a little excessive people, all right? You know, and the thing about Acts, I had a conversation the other day with somebody about this. It doesn't like do anything. All it does is it, it, it like it covers whatever it is. So what you're doing is you're compacting filth and stank on top of your body. And so you got this wave of Acts followed by a wave of nasty. You guys ever noticed that? Anybody else ever thought that? It's the crazy, it's like, and then what happens over some time, it's like the, the, the Acts starts to wear off and the nasty gets brought, right? Anyway, I don't know why I just went there, but here's the deal. So Jesus brings his boys together. He drops to his knees, grabs a bowl, grabs a brush. I don't know what he used, but the point is he began to wash his disciples' feet. If you've ever had somebody wash your feet, that is one of the most humbling experiences of your life, not only for the person receiving it, because it's kind of weird when you take your socks off and you got 
toe jam and some other fun stuff happening in there, right? Weird colors under the toenail. Yikes. But when you're the person washing somebody's feet, that is one of the greatest signs of humility that you would ever have the opportunity to witness or be a part of. And understand, students, the king of the world got on his knees with a bunch of a ragtag group of guys and said, look, he didn't say, yeah, I know I'm the man, but I'm going to show you. No, the king of the world, the savior of the world, King Jesus, led by example. And he gets on his knees and he, and he begins to take every one of these dudes' feet and just wash them. And one of the greatest acts of love ever recorded in the history of mankind. Let me tell you something, students, for a lack of a better example, can you imagine presidents of countries washing the feet of the homeless? Nope, not going to happen. But Jesus leads by example. And so, students, we've got to learn how to love sacrificially. Sometimes we've got to understand that when we say, I love you, it doesn't mean that we're going to get anything for it, right? Sometimes we have this idea that if all girls, you're like, oh, I love you. And the guy's like, oh, crap. I don't know what to do with that. I'm 10, right? You know what I'm saying? And the girl's like wigging out. She's like, really? Aren't you forgetting something? Thanks. I love your hair. Right? I mean, it's just that, guys, you've been there. If you haven't, you will. All right? Sometimes we're not ready to say I love you, but sometimes when we say I love you, or sometimes, ladies, you go up to your dad because you know you're going to, you know how to, like, you know, give every, whatever you want. You blink your little eyes at him, and you're like, Daddy. And he's like, dang it. Daddy, I, I just want you to know how much I love you. And I would see right through that, and I'd be like, no, no, don't. Don't fall for that, Pops. Come on, man. She's working you. But she's like, I love you, Dad. And he's like, what do you want? <laughs> right? Here's the deal, students. So many oftentimes, like when we use the word I love you, there's an expectation attached to it. There is a, I deserve something back, you know, with that thought. Because I've said I love you, so you, you owe me. That's not real love. That's not real love. Ladies, when you have a dude tell you he loves you, first of all, he probably doesn't know what he's saying. No offense. I'm being honest with you. I mean, you can ask your youth pastor about that one. He'll probably tell you the same thing. I'm on an island. I'm in a box. I'll take the hit. It's cool. Help me. No, I'm kidding. Um, but students, that's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is, is doing as Jesus did, for example, and, and washing some of the nastiest feet on the planet. And, and Jesus didn't do it to get a promotion. Jesus didn't do it to be respected more. Jesus didn't do it in any other way than to model love and the, and the sacrificial acts of love. And students, it's important that you understand something that you, you, we use our lips all the time. We, we, we flatter people. We know how to encourage people, work our parents. We get it. Teachers, coaches, whatever. You fill in the blank. The point is this. We say, I love you all the time, but do people see love in your life? Are you willing to love the unlovable students? Are you willing to, like, when you're at home, you're, you're in the living room, and maybe you live next door to an elderly, elderly person that's like 900 years old. She's the first woman, you know, kind of deal. And, you know, she can barely make it from her car to the front steps. She's got an arm full of groceries. Do you just look at her and laugh and then tweet about it, Snapchat? Check this out. You know what I'm saying? Or do you, like, get out of your car 
This is an example. I don't know this person, all right? You're like, oh my gosh, that's so mean. Anyway, the point is, do you see this individual and do you get out of your living room and help them with groceries? Do you cut your neighbor's grass? Do you wash people's cars? Do you help your teachers out, right? Do you love sacrificially or do you always expect something in return when you offer a helping hand to somebody? Students, here's the deal. If we are gonna learn to be moved to love or moved by love, we got to understand something. When we say or perform uh, acts revealing that we love in the name of Jesus, that doesn't mean that we're always going to see a return. It doesn't mean that we're going to be blessed. It doesn't mean that we're going to have huge bank accounts and a hot girlfriend and a new Escalade. None of those things may happen. But God has called us to love sacrificially. And sometimes you're not going to get on this stage by loving sacrificially. Sometimes God's not going to bless you with popularity because you learn to love sacrificially. Sometimes you're going to be doing stuff that doesn't matter. Let me tell you one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, and and this is just about the attitude of my pastor's heart. Uh, A couple years ago, we had a kids camp going on at our church, and girls wrecked the bathroom. I don't know what happened. These are elementary school kids. An entire soap dispenser is on the floor, and if you've ever seen the contents of a soap dispenser, soap, all over the floor, it's this enormous, crazy puddle of soap. And this stuff just goes on and on for days. My pastor, the lead pastor of the church, the dude that founded the church, gets on his knees, grabs a bunch of paper towels, and does work. That's the pastor. That's not an act of love, what my pastor did. But my pastor's not above serving. My pastor's not above leading by example. Let me tell you something. A guy who'd only been on staff for a year and a half, I took notes. My own pastor isn't above the lowest of the low when it comes to serving. Students, you want to make a difference in the world? You want to impact your family? You want to impact the people not only in this room, but the people in your lunchroom on your ball team? You want to impact the people that you work with? The Facebook community that you're a part of? Learn to love sacrificially. And understand that much of the time, you're not going to be glorified for it. People aren't going to post pictures and laud their praises upon you. Derek's not going to talk about it from the stage. He might sometimes. It's pretty cool. But that doesn't need to be your motive. Your motive is, I love because God first loved me. And students, the third thing I want to tell you is this. You need to love extravagantly. Huh? What does that mean? Love extravagantly. Matthew 5, 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for one mile, carry it for two miles. Go above and beyond. Students, we got a lazy culture around us right now. Look, I'm a guest. I can say whatever I want. You lazy. All right? The reality is I'm a student pastor too. I get it. I see teenagers every day of my life, and I'm like, dude, my brain explodes too. They come into my office, or they text me late at night. They call me. They blow up my Facebook page. And they're like, dude, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, dude, have you done A, B, and C? They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know, just play It's like, hello? You know? But we got to start like setting the tone for our culture. Instead, we become churches that have been, uh, you know, basically taught by culture how to be relevant instead of the church teaching culture how to be relevant. And the reason why is because so much of us, we claim to love Jesus. We claim to know Jesus. We claim to, to be excited about the fact that God changed our lives and our lips say one thing, but our bodies do something way different. And students, every one of you in this room, parents in this room, volunteers in this room, Derek Idol in this room, you can tell me people are sick of hypocrites in the church. 
And here's the deal. God has not called you to be perfect. He has. That's impossible. Only Jesus could have performed that. But God has called you to be obedient, and he's called you to love, and he's called you to love extravagantly. What happened to the day that instead of students being entitled, oh, you owe me, God, you owe me, youth pastor, you owe me, mom, dad, you owe me, best friend, I told you I love you, you owe me, you know, right? Instead of that entitlement mentality, what if we just shut our mouths and showed love extravagantly by our actions? Let me read something to you in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, or John 13, 35, it says this, by everyone by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But I've, I've got to tell you this, students. I've got to tell you, this is incredible. But uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, I'm almost done. Um, but here's the deal. This is what Paul says. He's talking to the Corinthian church. He says, for Christ's love compels us. All right? For Christ's love compels us. If you want to know what compelled means, it means bound, obliged, forced, obligated, required, coerced, or made. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This isn't freaky. This is really cool. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Students, do you understand something? Most of the time, what we focus on is right here. We look right here. What are you, are you looking at your hand? What does that mean? You just look at yourself. You're not looking at big picture. You're not looking across the room. You're staying in your little box and you're staying, just staring at your hand, whatever's right in front of your face. That's the only thing that you care about. You're worried about your needs. You're worried about your popularity. You're worried about your sense of style. You're worried about your uh, bank accounts, whatever it may be. That's all you care about. You're obsessed with you. Instead of understanding that students, if you genuinely understand that God loves you, that what that's going to require of you is learning to love other people and stepping out of your comfort zone. And Paul can talk about the love of Christ compelling. And many of you know the story about Paul, but if you don't, here's the deal. His name used to be Saul. All right. Saul was educated. He was Jewish. He was really well known. He was wealthy. He was given a lot of power. He was incredibly respected and revered. You want to know why he was revered? Because he was passionate about his religion. Here's the deal. He was Jewish. He believed in God, but he did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. He had heard about this guy. He, yeah, probably a good teacher, a good communicator, does some really cool stuff like raise people from the dead, give people arms, lame people start walking and surfing, all that cool stuff, right? You know, but other than that, he's not Jesus. He's not, or he may be Jesus, but he's not the son of God. And so Saul's mission in life at this point in his life was to come into places like age 12 and to kidnap, to destroy, to throw in jail, to stone, to murder, whatever you want to do. That's what he did to rip the body of Christ apart. Why? Because it was in complete uh, defiant to his belief in, in, in God. He believed it was all about his works. It was about what he ate, how he talked, how he lived his life. Absent of faith in Jesus Christ. So guess what happens in Acts chapter 9? Saul has been commissioned to go to this place called Damascus, Syria. So he's on his way to Damascus, and all of a sudden, this great blinding light comes, and he falls face down in the mud. Remember, this dude is, with, is royalty, all right? He's revered. Nobody had Facebook back then. Nobody had, you know, any idea, you know, outside of people that kind of made it out alive, you know, talking about Paul, you know what I'm saying? Like, they knew that this guy, if Saul was coming, church is about to get blown up. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm telling you the truth. Like, he inflicted fear into people. Because everybody knew the stories. 
But in Acts chapter 9, God blinds him. He falls face first on the, in the dirt. This guy of royalty, by the way, he's got a caravan of people behind him and armed guards and soldiers. Can you imagine the, the highest-ranking military official of our army lying face first in the dirt with all of America's weight behind him, face down in the dirt because of this crazy bright light from heaven? Well, God starts communicating with him, and Paul, excuse me, Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus says, I am he, the one that you persecute. Guess what happened in that moment, students? This guy named Saul who had everything. Power, fame, money, fear, respect. Highly religious. Yay. In that moment, one of the most powerful men on the planet is lying face, dirt, face down in the dirt. You imagine the guilt of that moment? Whoops. I just, I can't tell you how many people I've kidnapped, how many churches I've destroyed, how many people I've watched die. He was there for the stoning of Stephen. And by the way, stoning means like fist-sized stones getting thrown into your body. Pretty big deal. So in that moment, he's lying face first in the dirt. This guy, in the name of religion, is destroying God's people. And he finally realizes that Jesus wasn't a liar. Jesus wasn't crazy. He's not just a really good communicator. This dude was the son of God. And in that moment, I can't fathom the guilt, but what happens? If you know the story, he's blind for about three days. He goes to Damascus, and a guy named Ananias comes and removes the scales. Imagine that moment. God calls you to go, uh, you know, find the most violent man on the planet, and you got to help him, have a little convo. It's a little awkward, Right? But God uses Saul, changes his name to Paul. Paul is now arguably the most quoted man in, the, in history. He wrote a ton of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the place. He was passionate about seeing people just like you and me experience the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God. Do you understand that when Paul says Christ's love compels me, it's not money, it's not a hot girl, it's not, it's not fame and fortune. It is the fact that I have seen the grace of Jesus. I have seen the, the person of Jesus. I've seen the love of God enacted and activated in my life. And therefore, I cannot keep it to myself. I have to get out. I have to plant churches. I got to tell people about the good news of Jesus. I got to love the unlovable. I got to like meet with people that aren't uh, of the same, you know, skin color and belief system. And I got to tell them because I am compelled or moved or forced by the love of God to tell the world about the greatness of Jesus Christ. So when Paul says Christ's love compels us, he ain't talking about anything he's getting back. Paul's life was radically transformed because of what happened in the dirt on his way to Damascus. You see, Jesus invaded his life. And students, many of you in this room understand what that's about. But students, you got to understand something. For a lot of you, your faith is still about you. You still love to sit in your little box, point fingers and judge people. <laughs> Can you believe what they're wearing? Yeah. I mean, sometimes that is kind of funny. But I'm just saying, here's the deal. You're obsessed with staying in your little area. You don't want to have to step out of your comfort zone. You don't want to actually have to get out and talk to another human. You don't want to have to go make a difference. You don't want to actually, uh, you know, have to answer to God or, or be, res you know, responsible for anything he calls you to. No, you want to control your own life. You want to be lazy. You want to keep living, saying you live this way and yet live another way. 
and you notice why your life seems empty, and you make the same poor choice after poor choice after poor choice, and you wonder why nothing's different. Student, it's because you don't understand that God loves you, and you haven't done the math enough to understand that God's called you to love sacrificially, not say I love you with expectations back, but God's also called you to love extravagantly. And so what that means, students, it means that you climb out you know, of your little box, your little fenced-in area, and uh, you go begin to make a difference. I'm telling you right now, first of all, it feels so much better out here, all right? But God has not called you to live in this little box. And students, let me tell you something. I am a student pastor. I know what you deal with. I deal with students all the time. I've heard every story. Some of the most mind-blowing conversations have taken place over the past year because of students doing some crazy stuff. But here's the deal. Students, do you understand that you are valued and accepted and loved absolutely by God himself, the creator of the universe. The truth is, if you do understand that, then it's time for you to to step out. It's time for you to get up out of your little box, out of your little comfort zone. And it's time for you to go into your schools, to go into your families, and to not just speak love or use your words, but use your bodies, use your lives as beacons of light to share the love of God to a broken and hurting and lost world. Students, I know there are many of you in this room right now that if we knew what was really going on, it would rip us apart. And some of you are sitting in here right now, dude, I don't know how I got here. But let me tell you something, student who's dealing right now. You're adored and valued by God. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter the things that you've said, the choices that you've made, how much drama is in your life. None of it matters. God is a passionate God. He's passionate about rescuing you. And students, if you want to make an impact, even as a young person, then you've got to choose it. You've got to choose it, students. Derek can't choose it for you. Your interns can't choose it for you. Your pastor can't choose it for you. It starts right here. You've got to realize that God loves you. You've got to love sacrificially. And you've got to love extravagantly. Can I tell y'all one last story? Y'all care about that? Is that cool? All right, this will be quick. I'm in the 10th grade, Southwest Atlanta. I've been a believer for a couple years. And, uh, but I finally, as a, as a sophomore in high school in the fall, I was like, you know what, Lord, I've been faking it. I'm a believer, but I haven't really been like, like believing, right? You ever been there? I was kind of bored in my faith. I didn't really pour into studying the Bible. I didn't really, I mean, I was at church a lot, but that's, that was the extent and the depth of my relationship with God. I knew all the songs. Of course, we didn't have cool bands and lights at that point in time. It was the 90s. We had a lot of problems. All right. And what's funny is y'all love the 90s and the clothes that you wear. It makes my brain hurt. I'm just waiting for the side spike to come back. Anyway, so here's the deal. I'm a sophomore in high school, and uh, finally I'm like, Lord, you have my word. I'm giving everything I've got. And so my youth pastor, one of my youth pastors at the time, grabs two of my buddies and I, and he begins discipling us and encouraging us and mentoring us. Many of you ex- have experienced that here uh, with your small group leaders, maybe with Derek himself. He's told me actually a few stories of some of you guys. There <laughs> are some good ones. No, I'm kidding. Just really cool things. But anyway, um, so he, we start meeting with him weekly, and we, we're memorizing scripture. We're telling him about the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives. And slowly I begin to see God doing some really cool things in my heart and my buddies' lives. Well, January of my sophomore year, I just turned 16, and our youth pastor was like, hey, dude, uh, dudes, uh, we want to we start a new thing on Sunday nights called The House. Real cool name, right? Uh, anyway, it's in this 108-year-old chapel on, on our church campus. 
and there's nothing in it. It looks really cool and old on the outside, but on the inside, just wide open. So we have a band, according to John. You guys are like, huh? All right, have you ever heard of John Waller on the radio? Nope, not really. He's in a bunch of Christian movies. Still nope. Cool, awesome, good talk. Anyway, here's the deal. So he, he and, according to John, were the band, and our youth pastor spoke. And we started in January of my sophomore year with 30 to 35 people on a Sunday night. Here's what happened, though. We didn't have a lot of strong seniors and a lot of strong juniors as far as leaders in our youth group. But Scotty began telling us, he's like, guys, here's the deal. I believe that this chapel can be filled up with five or 600 of your peers from your schools. And we're like, what? Because <laughs> when you're like 16, you don't have big picture vision is all you see, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're not thinking about next week. You're thinking about tonight. What am I eating after that guy shuts up? That's what y'all are thinking about right now. So he begins telling us of his dream of seeing hundreds of our lost friends come to know Christ and filling this room up. Well, like I said, we didn't have a lot of juniors and seniors that were strong leaders. And so we all of a sudden started praying and just seeking God. And I kid you not, we started to have vision ourselves of just seeing this church be packed out. And so we started, we designed our own business cards. They were bright orange, nasty. Clip art, oh, uh, anyway, horrible. All right, we had hats, big foam hats, awful. Big t-shirts with the like ringed, you know what I'm talking about? All right, terrible. But it said the house, that's it. Nothing cool, nothing edgy, but here's what began to happen. Us 30 people, or we 30, 35 people, we start passing them out like crazy. Thousands of them, stuffing them into lockers. We're putting them in people's sloppy joes at lunch. We're putting them in the school bus. There, you, you, you sit down to use the can, right? You look up, come to the house, all right? I mean, everywhere. Because we believed so much that we wanted our lost friends at school to come to church. And we didn't just stop at like, you know, taking, you know, information and paper and t-shirts to all these different people. Because we, when we closed our eyes, we imagined this entire room filled with people your age that were hurting, that were broken, that needed to hear the truth of God's word and needed to know that there's hope. But then we, we did even more. We got, you know, reams of paper and we got phone books because this is before cell phones and software. Anyway, so we were finding out all the people that had been to our church and we'd start calling them. We'd get 10 or 12 people sitting in a room with all these different phones and we started calling people for two and three hours on a Sunday afternoon. Hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm shaving my cat. Hey, shave the cat and then come to church. Bring the cat. Whatever you want to do, right? You know, hey, we'll come get you. We'll come help you wash your car. We'll come help you with your homework so you can come to church. Here's the deal, students. In six months, we started with 30 people in our Sunday night deal. By June of that year, over 450 people were coming every single Sunday night. Yeah. And it wasn't because my youth pastor had the greatest personality. Yeah, he's a funny dude. The band rocked as well. But students, let me tell you something. You know what made the difference? A group of 30 to 35 young people that when they closed their eyes at night, they saw the love of God needed in the hearts of their peers. That's the truth. Students, you want to make an impact as a young person. You want to see God revolutionize your life. And I'm not talking about being addicted to the stage, because that ruins a lot of people. There's a lot of musicians that they're so obsessed with the stage, or a lot of speakers that are so obsessed with the stage, they don't even have a genuine connection with the heart of their God. Because all they want is the glory. All they want are the, the lights and the, and the podcasts and the videos and the speaking gigs or the, the music gigs, whatever. But students, if your motive is to see broken people put back together by a God that can genuinely heal, it will revolutionize your life. And students, I don't care if you're 14. I don't care if you're 18. It's time for this generation to flip the conversation. 
Shut down the judgment. Shut down the gossip. Shut your mouth and using the words, I love you, but show love. Students, start finding the people that nobody talks to at school. Talk to them. Find your teachers that are struggling, that are angry. Just encourage them. Students, find ways to love sacrificially. 